You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina. Michael, has it gone to your head yet that you're writing for Sports Illustrated? How does it feel? Are you walking around the grocery store, kind of winking at people? I mean, what's the vibe like now that you're big time? I, I mean, I'm a humble person, so no, that that's not really my vibe. But uh, it feels great. I mean, I don't start until January 1st, so I'm basically on a a multiple week kind of vacation here, which is which is great. But uh, I guess like it actually isn't vacation because once the season starts, I'm going to be locked in. But uh, but it feels it feels good. It feels good. Well, I just remember when I started at SI, I did like a Reddit ask me anything. And all of the questions were about whether I had like cubicles next to swimsuit models. And I was like, as I think you've got the wrong impression. I work from home and <laughs> this is not exactly what Sports <laughs> Illustrated. I mean, it's kind of what it's about, but not entirely. Um, in any event, we have an exciting announcement, Michael. Uh, for this coming season, it's obviously a weird season. I'm not going to be going to nearly as many games as I have in the past for for health and safety reasons as we sort of wait for this pandemic to sort itself out. So that means more time at home. I think that means more time interacting with the open floor globe. What do you say, Michael? So uh, we are announcing right now that we are going to have basically a group Slack channel for all listeners, for yourself, for myself, to hop in the mix and talk about basketball. Um, it is available at si.com slash open floor globe. That's si.com slash open floor globe. And Michael, just to spur interest, what I want to say is we got some incredible hand-drawn uh, pictures of Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell going one-on-one. They're very, very nice, done by an artist named uh, Stefan in Maine. He sent them to me months ago. It slipped my mind. We are going to actually do a giveaway of some of those hand-drawn pieces of art. They're really nice. They're nice enough to hang up in your home. Uh, so if you guys go to si.com slash openfloorglobe, that will take you to our Slack channel. Sign in there, and there's a welcome tab. Uh, look for that welcome message from me and just reply to that message with your name. I will pick winners uh, from all the people who have replied and you're going to get a free uh, holiday gift from me uh, and Stefan as well, obviously. So it's just that simple, Michael. Sounds pretty easy, right? You're in. I'm in. I'm very excited. This will be fun. You better reply and ask for your own copy, Michael. You know, you got to get in the mix. Uh, (laughs) I just say up front, Michael, we've never done anything like this, but the bosses at SI, they love the open floor globe. They love how many crazy emails you guys send in. They just love the interactivity aspect and how loyal you guys have been over the years. So I want to, you know, show our community off to the uh, the right authorities, Michael. So let's hope all the open floor globe members step up, hop in there, participate. You can get debates going. You could have live threads going while you're watching a game. Whatever you want to do in there, it's just a nice little hub to share with your like-minded friends around the world. And and by the way, every it's open to everybody. So so if you're uh, in a far-flung locale, South America, Europe, Asia, wherever it might be, hop in there and uh, join your fellow diehards. All right, Michael, without further ado, we should probably catch up on the big news of the week. Uh, Giannis Atenacumpo has signed the five-year Supermax contract, $228 million, an NBA record for a single deal. Must be nice. Maybe he's buying lunch for us. What was your takeaway from the agreement? Surprised, not surprised? Did he make the right decision? Did he blow it? Was this a huge win for Milwaukee? Where does Giannis come out, Michael? Just give me your takes. I mean, my first reaction was obviously like this is a humongous win for Milwaukee. This is, it's been likened almost to a championship because, you know, they're a small market. He's one of the best players in franchise history, probably second only to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who left in free agency to go to the Los Angeles Lakers. So, like, the fact that Giannis is sticking around is just, it's momentous for this organization. Um, and so, it's a, yeah, it's a, indisputably a huge win for them. They don't have any of the stress of his free agency lingering over their season as they try to win the championship. So, 
huge win for them. I mean, for Giannis, real quick, like, yeah, he, he banks $228 million, biggest contract in NBA history. That's very nice for him. Um, I think that it's going to be very interesting to see just how the Bucks are able to build around him. You know, they're short on assets, future assets from the Drew Holiday trade. And as of this recording, Drew Holiday has not signed an extension with them. So, uh, like, it's a little, it's going to be very interesting to see just how they're able to sustain um, uh, this this beast in Milwaukee around Giannis over the foreseeable future and the life of this contract. Uh, like, what were your thoughts no, immediately, Ben? I, I was with you. I mean, I had mixed feelings. I think, obviously, it's a gigantic win for Milwaukee, and they get to do the I told you so thing for years and years. Their diehard fans were so convinced that Giannis would never leave, that he was a different person, that loyalty was sort of what drove him, and that he had had a special bond with the city and the organization. And all those things proved true. I was happy for Giannis in the sense that that seemed like where where his heart was. He was never that cold, calculating, power broker type player, you know, LeBron James in 2010, Kevin Durant in 2016, Kawhi Leonard in 2019. I mean, that was never really the direction that he went. And so I wasn't surprised, especially after the bubble, that he decided to re-sign on the Supermax. When you're seeing other players, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, locking up that long-term money and and stability, it's clear that's sort of now the, the best practice with this um, – uh, you know, unusual and unpredictable economic environment. So that part all made mm-hmm. sense to me. Um, and also, I wasn't totally surprised because I really do feel like he he thought he let the Bucks down during the bubble, right? I mean, he obviously got suspended at one point, headbutted. Uh, he had the ankle injuries. Uh, he had the, the silly foul on Jimmy Butler that cost him that crucial game and ultimately, to me, swung that series. I think he put a lot of the blame for how the last playoffs went onto his own shoulders. I'm not sure that was a completely accurate portrait of what happened. He was partially to blame, but there was the Bledsoe issue, Coach Bud, who we went over time and time again. And so Mm -hmm. I almost think like in a way that the nature of their flame out last year actually played to the Bucks' benefit totally because Giannis felt like there was unfinished business. He felt sort of like, you know, he owed them something. And I think they were also really smart to just kind of guilt trip him. I mean, trying to give him all these pens and encouraging him to sign and just leaning on his emotions was the right way to play it and you know we saw Chris Middleton and his teammates do that kind of gifting him these things for his birthday just being like hey man stick around stick around and I think that was smart from their side I think for Giannis though there's some real downside risk here Um, you look at the major superstar level guys I mean whether or not you're moving markets at this point you're teamed up with other A-list type talents, right? I mean, we see that with the Clippers. We see that with the Lakers. Uh, you, you could say that with the Nets as well, although Kyrie has uh, something to prove. Uh, Giannis is going to be fighting with one hand tied behind his back. I mean, I love Chris Middleton as a player. I like Drew Holiday as a player. Um, those are not top 10 level sidekicks. And it will be very difficult for Milwaukee to attract that kind of a player, especially if they re-sign Drew Holiday. I mean, their salaries are basically going to be locked in. So from that standpoint, he's in a situation where he didn't, to me, necessarily maximize the benefit of his leverage, right? Um, and he kind of signed away his future, this organization, at least for the next uh, you know, two, three, four years before the rumors start picking up again. And I just wonder, did he give himself the best chance to compete for a title in the short term? I'm not totally sure that he did. I think that it would look a lot better if they pulled off the Bogdan Bogdanovich move. And ultimately, he decided that wasn't a deal breaker. And he was willing to kind of settle for, okay, Drew Holiday for a bunch of draft picks and then uh, a whole bunch of random, you know, replacements on the bench. You add all that up, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at Milwaukee's situation and I just wonder, are we going to look back and say, 2019 and, and 2020 were sort of his best shots. Now KD's back in the Eastern Conference. Now some of the, the power balance has tilted away from Milwaukee. Maybe they're not quite the juggernaut they were previously. Did he just lock himself into a situation here where the, the ceiling isn't as high as it could be? Well, I think that Milwaukee is better than they were last season. I think the Drew Holiday upgrade over Bledsoe and George Hill is notable. You know, I don't think they're going to be this regular season juggernaut. I think that that move was made to make them a more a team more compatible for postseason success for sure. But like to your point, I think that there's legitimate pressure on Giannis to improve. Like we have, there's areas of his game as dominant as he is 
that can stand to get better, and particularly in the postseason, just how he functions as an individual scoring threat from different spots on the floor. So I think that like he, if anyone's going to get better over the next you know X amount of years, it's him. His work ethic is unparalleled. But you know, one thing I really want to I want to bring up about this that popped into my head shortly after uh, after the news broke is just that like financially this is very prickly here for milwaukee like they have a hundred million dollars locked up into four players uh next season and that's not counting drew holiday's looming extension slash necessary extension so for a team that like you know it's a small market team it didn't want to go into the tax for malcolm brogdon i do wonder like you know they're not going to be in the tax this year most likely but like the repeater throughout the life of this contract for Giannis is very possible. And I do, I do foresee like cost cutting measures happening and it getting potentially ugly. And on that point, like there was a great irony with, uh, with Giannis signing and kind of taking himself off the free agency market. And I think that a lot of the teams, you know, Dallas, Toronto, maybe even Miami that had their eyes on Giannis, will now turn towards, if Drew Holiday does not get re-signed will, or extended, will now tor- turn towards a player like Drew Holiday, who is a fantastic fit in all of those destinations. Um, and if you're Drew Holiday, like, you're not taking a pay cut. You just saw Gordon Hayward, who's your same age, who has, uh, you know, uh, Drew Holiday has an injury history. Gordon Hayward had a, an injury history. Um, get four years, 120 mil. So, like, I don't, like, Drew Holiday is going to be expensive. Let's not beat around the bush here and i'm just interested to see how milwaukee deals with that and if they lose him they are screwed <laughs> no it's an absolutely great point they have all the pressure in the world to keep him if they don't keep him what message does that send to Giannis? you know it's just you're you're trying to hoodwink him basically yeah sign back here we're going to build the best team we can around you oh by the way at our first opportunity we're not going to pay up to keep a player who we were was basically the centerpiece of our pitch to to get you to resign that would be terrible optics i mean i, I you know the thing is I just wonder if Giannis is loyal to a fault here. It kind of seemed like he was a cheap date in a way, you know? I mean, look at what uh, LeBron was doing for years to try to leverage Cleveland, you know, in this way and that way. Kevin Durant, you know, doing various uh, machinations both in Golden State and then to get himself to Brooklyn. And for Giannis, I mean, this was a gigantic decision, the biggest decision in the franchise's last 30, 40 years. And they were able to get him a one-time all-star point guard for multiple draft picks, and they couldn't get the Bogdan thing done, right? I mean, I'm sitting back and just being from a cynical standpoint, and I'm saying, you know, Giannis, like, I know you like it there. I know you love these guys. I know you feel obligated uh, to them because they were the ones who drafted you. They were the ones who put the ball in your hand. They were the ones who went out and got Coach Bud, who built these systems around you that allowed you to be an MVP-level player. I mean, I understand there's a lot of loyalty, and that runs deep. But, uh, you know, you're also setting yourself up here for, you know, some a real potential downfall. I see it in a couple ways. Number one, I think that so much of the conversation around Giannis has been about free agency that in terms of his individual fame, I think there's going to be a certain segment of fans who are very happy and respectful towards Giannis because he decided to stick with his the team that drafted him, that he didn't, you know, change markets like everybody else. But I actually think there's a wide segment of the audience that will now just completely ignore the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis basically until the conference finals, right? And then I also think when you get to the playoffs, when you're the main guy, when you don't have a you know a superstar sidekick, you're going to be in line for a lot of the blame if things don't go well. And, and we already saw it last year. I mean, he's going one on five in clutch situations. That's not going very well for them late in games, and people blame him. Well, if he had a better supporting cast and you know a more creative coach, he's probably not in that situation sort of set up to fail, right? And so I'm just worried as somebody, I mean, Giannis is arguably my favorite player in the entire league because of his devotion mm-hmm. to his craft and because of his consistent improvement year after year after year. And I just wonder with this decision, because he wasn't able to sort of force or didn't want to force Milwaukee to upgrade the roster around him in a truly meaningful way, if he's now set up to be not the fall guy, but the, you know, to face the brunt of the criticism if they keep hitting walls in the postseason. And I just think that 
he would, uh, I guess, receive that criticism differently than a player like Damian Lillard, for example, because Lillard's never won an MVP. He's never climbed up to those uh, the same heights and, and never gotten the same recognition that Giannis has. So if Portland goes out in the second round or even goes out in the first round, you know, it's it's a story for a couple days, but it's not a story for the summer, right? And they just come back the next year and try to do it again. For Giannis, if they don't make the finals this year or they don't make the finals the year after that, that's going to accumulate and he's going to become one of these Charles Barkley type players. He's going to become a Steve Nash type of guy where it's like, well, he's a two-time MVP, but he can never get it done. He lost head-to-head against Kawhi Leonard. You know, he doesn't have the jump shot. You can't trust him in the big moments. And I think that, you know, he's got to improve his games in some ways, but he's also by far the best thing the Bucks have had going for them. He completely transformed that franchise over the last five years. And now he's in a situation where he could actually, you know, kind of pay a price for his loyalty. And uh, that part, you know, it, it just makes me have a little mixed feelings. Like I said, I, I'm very excited for him to get that payday. Absolutely. I just worry what the next two to three years of Giannis narratives are going to look like and whether he might be headed for a correction here. Hmm. Yeah, no, those are all really good points. I mean, he obviously is welcoming those uh, that pressure, those responsibilities that a two-time MVP should have, frankly, uh, on their shoulders. Um, you know, if they don't make the finals this year, I kind of, I, like, I don't want to say it's a catastrophe, but it would be pretty bad because, you know, this roster has no real young talent that is intriguing to me on it. I mean, like Dante DiVincenzo is, is fine. He's not going to be an all-star. Um, and just how this team is kind of made up right now, I think it, like it will be seeing a different iteration. You know, we'll be seeing Brooke Lopez potentially gone. We'll be seeing more Giannis at the five. I, I would be almost certain that we will see a new head coach for sure um you know it's easy to say things like that now um but especially when we don't know what the upgrade would look like well that's what i mean about the whole cheap date thing michael it's like come on come out of that bubble you needed a new coach like that was the least they could do to help him out right after he's playing 30 minutes a night in the playoffs and these guys are completely discombobulated to have no chemistry together once they got there i mean how was that not move not made? I still don't understand that. And I'm with you. I do think it's a make or break season for Coach Bud. And I'm not convinced they're going to make the finals this year. I'm with you that the roster looks better on paper just because of the holiday upgrade. They lost a lot of key rotation pieces. Matthews, Hill, and Bledsoe all played lots of minutes and important minutes. And the guys they brought in to replace them aside from Holiday, to me, aren't necessarily, quote-unquote, playoff players, guys you can really count on. I don't see their go-to five-man group, you know, for the playoffs, especially if you have to go smaller. I see some Mm -hmm. lineup holes. I don't really know how they're going to address those holes after um, having already spent a lot of draft picks over the last couple of years going out to try to get people at, uh, you know, the trade deadline and, and things like that. So, you know, I'm not writing them off. I think they're an absolutely a top contender in the East. I would be um, surprised actually if they didn't finish with the best record in the regular season in the Eastern Conference. But I just think that the you know their odds of actually winning the title or of, of representing the East in the finals, to me, have actually taken a step back from last year just because Kevin Durant's return and because the top of that East uh, bracket has leveled off a little bit, and in part because they don't have the benefit of the continuity where they're bringing everybody back, which is what they did last year. And, and they had such amazing momentum because so much of the rotation was uh, you know experienced together and they were just clicking on all cylinders. I'm not sure that's going to be the story this year, and uh, you know we'll see. But uh, I do think it's a fair standard. If they don't make the finals, we're all disappointed in them, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I, I would pick them today to make the finals, and I, and I do think also that this front office is still going to be as aggressive as it possibly can before the trade deadline. They better you know, be, Michael. It, they, yeah, they have a track record. I mean, Nikola Mirotic, uh, obviously signing Marvin Williams as a as a, a buyout. Uh, player, uh, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting well, to see. I mean, I, I agree have, with you about the the pieces around Giannis aren't really what you want in a championship contender, though. They have a track record of activity, right? So let's go back to John Wooden. Let's get a track record of achievement, okay? <laughs> that, that's what we're looking for this year. All right, yeah. Um, you know, we're talking about the MVPs and how that changes the conversation around Giannis and raises the stakes around Giannis. It's a natural segue here, Michael, into the conversation I wanted to have today which is you and I sharing our awards picks. And obviously we would start with the MVP conversation. I'm going to say it flat out. 
I do not see any way Giannis can win MVP this year solely on the fact that he won the last two years and the voters won't want him to win it three years in a row after the playoffs didn't really go according to plan in 2019 and 2020. Am I making an incorrect logical assumption there, Michael, or are you with me? I mean, the only guys to go three times, it's like Larry Bird, Bill Russell, uh, I think Wilt Chamberlain, maybe. Uh, nobody in the mo- wow, no- two Celtics. Yeah, no- nobody since then. Um, are you with me? You know, I think I would be surprised if Giannis won three in a row. I wouldn't deem it impossible you know I think back to Steph winning two in a row and then uh, KD kind of coming aboard I like do you, I, I wonder if Steph could have won three in a row if he somehow played even better in that third season in 2017 um, it, like Giannis, it's possible like, in that situation actually I would have said because they were the defining team of the entire league everybody was playing mm-hmm. catch up to their style That's not the case with Giannis, right? And so if you're trying to say, we're going to elevate Giannis to a level that Michael Jordan and LeBron haven't reached, but he's still never reached the finals, I just think voters, their brains are going to overload and they're going to start doing what they did to Harden, which is, oh, he's just a regular season player. These stats are meaningless. You know, do that whole thing. Can I make make the pro Giannis case real quick? Oh, please. I mean he can shoot all of a sudden oh like wow. he puts up the same he puts up the same numbers and he can shoot like I do think that because there is such a notable flaw in his game that kind of jibes or I guess the opposite of the word jibe with the way the league is going like if he does develop a mid-range jumper that he can lean on if his game just looks aesthetically different um, and he's still as efficient then and and Milwaukee is the best team in the NBA like Hey, like sometimes there's just no statistical argument. Like narrative is fun, but sometimes the statistics are just overwhelming. And so I could see it as possible, especially when you add in the fact that he's going to be in the defensive player of the year conversation. Um, so I, like I wouldn't bet on him, but I could I could see it happening. But I also get what every, everything that you're saying. That is very well argued because the idea of Giannis as a shooter is just so tantalizing. I've been trying to dream it into reality now, Michael, for like five straight summers. Um, Hasn't necessarily happened yet. Here's a question for you. Um, You know how in video games you can sometimes like cash in money, you know, your fake money in the video game to improve a skill? Mm -hmm. If you could do that in real life, what percentage of Giannis's $228 million contract do you think he would give to be a knockdown three-point shooter, right? Because it clearly drives him crazy that he can't shoot. He works at it and works at it and works at it and works at it. The Bucks have done all these different things to emphasize that within their offense. And he has had some games where it's just he's getting you know, laughed at and mocked on Twitter because of the airballed threes. And he might turn into like the greatest NBA player of all time if he had a knockdown three-point shot. I'm talking like a 40% off the dribble three-point shooter. How much do you think that would be worth to him? Or how much would it be worth to you if you got a $228 million contract? I'm thinking it would be worth $227 million. <laughs> I was going to say $100 million, and I thought I was being ridiculous. Um, no, th- I mean, that would, you're right, that would make him the best player uh, of all time, right? Like, he would be un- <laughs> total, totally unstoppable. How, do you, how would you guard Giannis if he could shoot 40% on pull-up threes? Like, it wouldn't be... It wouldn't be like fair at all. Um, so yeah, I think he would drop a, a a good chunk of cash for that that opportunity. I think you made a good argument in favor of Giannis, but you didn't convince me, Michael. And I want to know who no. else you view as sort of the leading contenders in this year's field, and then who's your pick? Or I guess okay, start so, with your pick, and then who else did you consider? Okay, so my pick, you know, I don't, I didn't want to go with anyone too obvious because that's just not my style. Um, and your pick would have been my pick, I think, because I loved the ingenuity and the logic behind it. So shout out to you. Spoiler alert. Uh, my I, pick was I, I, Damian Lillard. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm glad that you spoiled yourself. Um, I'm going with Kawhi Leonard. Ooh, I actually like this pick a lot. Uh, say more though. Okay. So the number one reason Kawhi Leonard does not win the MVP or does not even contend in the eyes of so many is load management. Um, and the fact that he, you know, he doesn't play in back to backs or he sits in 
it, it just it, he doesn't ride the same type of roller coaster as everybody else who's on his level, most other players. But this year is so unique. It's a shortened season. Um, and I believe that other players who are on his level who are in this conversation will indeed be more attuned to buying into load management this year. Um, just because of how difficult the schedule is going to be with knickknack injuries as a potential and the idea of, um, you know, just tr- trying to be as safe and as healthy as possible before you get into the playoffs. So I think other superstars will lean into load management. I think that, you know, Kawhi, who only played six fewer games than Giannis last year, that's to his benefit, where like, um, if everybody's doing it, then it doesn't really stand out like a sore thumb anymore. Um, and like the other just basic arguments for want the believing that Kawhi can win MVP, like I think the Clippers will be very good this year. You have to be on a very good team. You have to be the best player on a very good team historically. So check. Um, Kawhi has never won MVP before, and he's you know he he spent arguably a year, at least in my eyes, as as the best player in the world, which he may still be, probably not. I mean, I I'd, I'd say LeBron right now is the best player in the world, um, but. Like the narrative, you know, you're, you were talking about how Giannis is not going to win three in a row because voters uh, will not want to do that and give him that honor based on what he's done in the playoffs. Like Kawhi has proven it in the playoffs, but he has not gotten it done in the regular season to the degree that voters would like relative to the competition. So I think that that voters, if he comes out, um, you know, more engaged than in the past, which he has. I, th- I think he should be motivated more so based on how last season ended um, and be on a mission. So I feel like voters will reward that for Kawhi if the Clippers are good and if he plays well. And I have a couple quick real stats for you to kind of also support my my argument here. Um, I love stats. Kawhi's net great my Kawhi's net point differential was one of the best in the league last year and when he was on the floor without Paul George the Clippers still obliterated the other team by double digits per 100 possessions when Paul George was on the court without Kawhi their net rating was plus 0.4 which was down from 13.2 when Kawhi and PG were on the floor so clearly Kawhi is the most valuable player on this team and I, you know, I, I think that there's going to be a little more pep in his step with the addition of, of, of Serge Ibaka, who's like his best friend in the whole league. So, like, I'm I'm all in on Kawhi right now. I mean, high usage rate. He's super efficient all over the floor. He's going to be an all-defensive team player again. Um, he can win it this year. I'm going all in on Kawhi. I, I really like this argument. I think what we learned first and foremost is, Robin, you don't get to drive the Batmobile, all right? Stay out of the way. <laughs> um well, here's the thing with Kawhi Leonard. The hardest part for him is going to be the narrative because you mentioned the load management thing at the top. He hardly even load managed last year. He played a lot of minutes. He played a lot of games and he was really good, right? And so um, I think he's got to overcome that baggage. I think if the Clippers are the top seed in the Western Conference, that's his ticket to MVP. I think anything besides that, people are going to want to just you know not give him the benefit of the doubt because he doesn't play along with the media very well. Uh, despite his late night interview this week, uh, talking about the size of his hands for five minutes, um, and just, it, I, I enjoyed that interview. You watched that? I thought I was like the only person in the world. Uh, I saw the highlight clips on Twitter. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's part of the problem, Michael. Is you enjoy it, and nobody else <laughs> really enjoys Kawhi. It's it's a real factor in these conversations. It is, you know, and and it's. Uh, you know, it's understandable from both sides. I mean, Kawhi Leonard makes the media wait for an hour, an hour and a half after these games. He doesn't really engage very often in the interviews. You know, when media members are voting, I I just think it's human nature sometimes to be like, well, if there's a captivating star who's like, you know, making me laugh every, you know, every post game, and there's a guy who's just doesn't want to be here and escapes out and takes his helicopter home uh, as quickly mm-hmm. as possible, uh, I'm going to go for the, the captivating person, or I'm going to give that person the benefit of the doubt. He's going to have awesome numbers. They're going to win a lot of games. Uh, and, you know, he is going to have them, you know, kind of positioned in the title chase. So I think for all those reasons, you're right on. Um, I, I think the weak part for him is just the narrative, like I mentioned. Um, that's kind of why I went with Damian Lillard, because I see he is going to have amazing numbers. I think people slept on how good his numbers were last year, averaged 30 points a game. He was right up there near the top in win shares. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a phenomenal player. 
you know, from a statistical standpoint, I think he does have the narrative on his side because he's great with the media. He's friendly. You know, he interacts with people on Twitter. He's got a very clear cut persona at this point. He's the small market star who hasn't left. I think that gets him some bonus points as well. And I think the weak point for him is that the team has never been in that same conversation where can they win the West like we're expecting from the Clippers, right? Well, I think that actually plays to his benefit a little bit too. If they can get the three seed in the West and show demonstrable improvement from last year, he's the clear face of that franchise. He doesn't really have a Paul George uh, sidekick. You know, CJ McCollum is is very good, but not great. And he has enough help maybe around the edges, you know, with some of the depth moves they made over the the offseason to just fill things out a little bit. If Portland rises in the standings, you know, there's always that dogfight for the three to six seeds in the West. If they're the three seed, Lillard's averaging close to 30 points per game. He's playing basically every night because he always does. And, you know, there's a big marketing blitz behind him with Adidas advertisements and everything else. You can see this guy you know, being a long shot, but taking the MVP home, can't you? Almost like a career achievement award for never leaving Portland. No, I mean, I love this pick, as I said earlier. Um, I think that one of the reasons why I, I was so attracted to it is just like, as you were saying, he's so likable. He's the coolest dude in the league. And, you know, I think the the general reaction to Giannis staying in uh, Milwaukee should transfer nicely to how Dame is treated the Portland Trailblazers, frankly. I mean, he signed the Supermax. He stayed there. Yeah, I um, want people to prove it, Michael. Everyone says, oh, it's so great that the guy's staying in his home market. Okay, well, if you're that big of a fan of it and it's not just a symbolic tip of your hat and then you go back to forgetting about these teams, watch these guys' games. Hype these players up. I've been trying to single-handedly hype Giannis for five years. It gets tiring, man. My back hurts, uh, Michael. <laughs> You know, this is heavy, heavy load. And same deal with Damian Lillard. Like, if, if these are your values as a fan, then you got to hype these guys up just as much as you do when you pay attention to every last rumor about where is Anthony Davis going to go in free agency and all that other stuff. I'm just saying, if that's your values as a fan, and I, I really respect it if that's what people are out there saying, they want loyalty, they want somebody they can root for throughout their entire career, well, hype these guys up and continue to do it. Because, uh, I do think sometimes the loyalty winds up coming at the cost of the player where their jerseys don't sell as well. There's not as much attention given to them. They get stuck on teams that are very good, but not great. And they just sort of get overlooked in favor of, well, what's the new super team? You know, we're all going to watch the the Warriors and we're all going to watch the Lakers. And it kind of distracts away from those, uh, the players who are quote unquote doing it the right way. So that's my challenge to everybody out there. You know, don't just uh, tip your hat at Giannis's loyalty and then go back to ignoring the Bucks. and dig in on these guys. And, and watch them play every night can i also like you were hitting on this earlier but like dame's stats last year were incredible like 30 the guy averaged 30 points a night he led the league in minutes which is something that is just uh, we were just talking about Kawhi. like playing 37 and a half minutes a night in, in 2020 is just not what people do and people who have the offensive responsibilities and take the beating that he does at his size. Like it is remarkable that he did that. Well, so, and here's the thing. I mean, if he had played 36.9, they don't make the playoffs, right? <laughs> like if that, I mean, they needed every exactly. last fraction of a minute from him to make the playoffs last year and they're better this year. So they shouldn't have to rely on him quite as much, but he can handle a heavy load for sure. No. And it was, he finished second in wind shares first in offensive win. I mean, the guy is, he's the best. I, I love Dame. Um, and he should be super motivated this year. This is arguably the best team that he's ever played on. I mean, you could definitely make that case just in terms of depth and overall talent. So like, I, and, and I mean, the clock's ticking. MVP would be awesome. The clock's ticking yeah. on him too. Right. I mean, he knows he's got right. a few like really, really high level years left. So I think he's going to seize the moment after the trip. I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. 
the unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd. American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck, so you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. I also considered Luca. I also considered Anthony Davis. Just real quick, who are the other guys that uh, you know captured your attention in this conversation? So you know me. I have a do- dozen players. A dozen? Um, I have a dozen players who I could see winning MVP this season. Michael. Do you want me to list do you want me to list them all? Well, you're one of these New England guys casting a wide <laughs> net. You're out there looking for lobsters, or what are you doing? <laughs> That's absolutely a ridiculous thing to say. But um I I I yeah, I you know, I think that the league is really flush with talent right now. And it's just it's really hard to predict um, how many games some guys are going to play, how guys are going to treat this regular season. Yeah. I think it's We should have said that up front. We should have said that up front. There's no way yeah. to make good predictions this year. I mean, look, no. <laughs> one positive test at the wrong time and you're completely tanked for the entire season on the award. So we are, you know, flinging darts at the wall, but we have no idea. So give me your names. Just run through quick because we've got some other awards to get to. So uh, just list okay. off the guys uh, who you think have a shot this year to be 2021 MVP. Sure. So Kawhi, obviously, Dame, obviously, uh, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Luca, as you said, Giannis, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, uh, my my guy, Jason Tatum, my son, my firstborn, uh, James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid. What kind of numbers would Harden need to win MVP this year <laughs> after the narrative backlash that he's currently dealing with? Would he have to average well, so- 40? No, I, I the thing is like it's all about team success, right? Like the the fact that so many people are down on Houston right now. If Houston is like the second seed, which is not in, nothing is impossible right now. I'm sorry, it just isn't. Um like if Houston is the number 2 seed for most of the season or something like that or they're just like a, a house on fire, like I he could do it. Like if he's averaging 35 a night or whatever it is, 35 and 9 and he's playing every game and he's his Iron Man self, like why not? If Houston is a 2 seed, I will get you a custom Ben Simmons Houston <laughs> Rockets jersey and I will sign it for you, Michael. Thank you. Um all right. No, I I hear you. It is a wide open field this year in part because I did you mention Kevin Durant? I did, yes, yeah. of course. So I think that that's part of the reason why this is such an interesting MVP field. You've got him, you've got Steph Curry back in the mix after a couple of years where they weren't. I think we were kind of stuck in both of the last two years in terms of trying to come up with foils or really turning it into a horse race because Giannis had such amazing stats. Milwaukee was winning so well, but you know the, the crop of candidates was thinned a little bit by injuries. And we'll see if there is a thinning process this year as well with guys maybe resting a little bit like you were describing, maybe not playing back-to-back at certain situations because of the condensed schedule, maybe just getting a slow start as uh, some teams transition out of the bubble. So the field that you uh, put out there, I I could see that narrowing actually pretty quickly. Um, But at the same time, it's just nice to have some of these big names back. It should be exciting. I'm expecting the best MVP race that we've had maybe in three, four years, uh, if not longer. All right, Michael, let's hop over to Defensive Player of the Year. Who is going to win this year and who else did you consider? So I had a couple candidates at the top of my list, but I'm going with Joel Embiid. And I know that's not, that's not going to make you happy. Um, he is one of my three I, finalists. Can you believe it, Michael? Oh, wow. I'm shocked, honestly. Well, I mean, it, you it was should only... read my newsletter and you would have known that. <laughs> it, I, I didn't want to spoil too much after I saw Dame getting MVP. I was very upset about that. So I didn't want to piss myself off anymore. But um, it was only one preseason game. Uh, against the Boston Celtics the other night, but Joel Embiid just like looked rejuvenated. He looked like he was in shape. He looked like he was really enjoying himself on a basketball court for the first time in who knows how long. And, you know, I think the touches he gets on offense will only fuel that energy and that focus on the defensive end where he's already 
just like when he's playing, like when he's locked in on the defensive end, there's just very few people alive who have a higher ceiling in impacting a game. Like I'll put Rudy Gobert there. I'll put like Anthony Davis, Giannis, and Embiid. That's like basically it for me. So like every year Philly's defense is ridiculously good when Embiid is on the floor, including last year. It's so much better when he's on the floor versus when he's off the floor. And I have some more stats, Ben. Are you ready for my stats real quick? I love them. Bring them on. Okay, so the percentage of Philly's opponent's shots that came at the rim last year were 8.1% lower with Embiid on the floor. The percentage of Philly's opponent shots that were long twos were 5.2% higher with Embiid on the floor. Both of those marks led the entire NBA. So this guy is deterring shots at the rim. He is forcing long twos. That is the name of the game right now in the NBA. Now, obviously, if you're a big and you're dropping um, or you're not up to touch, like pull-up threes are a dangerous threat for sure. But Philly's it, it, it has not hurt Philly's defense overall since Embiid has been there as a starter. Well, so, and they got better guys to defend those pull-up threes than they did last year, right? Yep. I mean, that was a huge problem, especially when Simmons got injured in the playoffs. It's just you could snipe them from that, you know, right inside or right outside the three-point line, just play after play after play after play there was nothing Philly could do about it yep you make these adjustments you know getting Horford out of the picture you go a little bit smaller and more versatile now you're in a spot to do it I really like the pick it just comes down to the health factor right um and and the consistency factor from him but he should absolutely be in the mix who else did you consider so can I make one my, my last point about Embiid before we move on and this factor I think you'll love and you'll you'll get Doc Rivers will constantly prop Joel Embiid up in the media. Oh. Like every this is what he does. He'll say he'll compare him to KG saying KG wasn't even as strong as Embiid and that and that uh Joel Embiid is a better rim protector and he's quicker than everybody thinks and he's got the same mind as KG. I mean, do you remember when he basically compared DeAndre Jordan to Bill Russell? Like this is what Doc Rivers does. He completely changes narratives. He beats you over the head with them. I think that that will work to Joel Embiid's benefit. I was going to say, I mean, KG might be a little bit of a lower bar. I was going to see Doc say some stuff like, <laughs> "I know the people in Philly don't want to hear this because they've got some bad memories, but and beads the closest thing we've seen since Bill Russell. Like I could see something like that, you know, going, uh, going on for sure. I think it's a great argument for sure. He's going to be um, trying everything he can to keep Embiid motivated and locked in this season too, right? I mean, that's a huge part of the challenge. I, I think we saw that 100%. Uh, last year waning under Brett Brown. It is a new voice. It's a trustworthy voice. It is a motivational voice. It's a voice that does kind of wear on people, frankly. You know, we saw that with the Clippers as well, but this is year one. There's some real parallels, by the way, between being Chris Paul's teammate and being uh, Doc Rivers' player, right? You know, there's always this like, uh, you know, honeymoon period where things are going great, guys are motivated, everything's looking awesome, and then maybe a couple of years down the road, that starts to change just a little bit. But for right now, the Sixers are in that honeymoon period. I hope it happens because it was really sad to watch Embiid last year. I mean, he was dragging a lot. He just didn't seem like he was happy. I mean, I got a couple pictures from him during post-game press conferences where he just looks so down in the bubble. And uh, it would be nice if he can change his face, right? As uh, Ricky Rubio would say. Who else did you consider, Michael? So I have a few uh, names, if you'll oblige me. How many um, dozen? Two dozen, three dozen. <laughs> What's that lobster? I'll let the listeners count. What's the lobster crop um, look like, Michael? How, how do we do this afternoon? All right. It's it's red and it's juicy. Um, Giannis, last year's winner. I got to put him on the list. There's no reason why he won't be in contention. Anthony Davis, I think, is arguably the best defender alive. He showed it in the bubble and in their championship run. Rudy Gobert is just Rudy Gobert, and like if Utah is again, like I think this goes to team success. If Utah surprises some people and jumps out to the top of the pack in the West, like their players will get um, credit in individual uh, award categories. Um, I also want to say like uh, Ben Simmons, I think deserves to be mentioned here because he is one of the few guys who can actually defend one through five. And I respect anyone who can defend one through five as well as he does. Um, and that could hurt Joel Embiid a little bit, but I think Joel is just has a, a greater impact on that side of the ball. Um, I got to just say real quick, Marcus Smart, that's my guy. Um, super plucky defender, heart and soul of the Boston Celtics. They'll be really good this year. Their defense should be really good. He's the reason why. 
Um, and Bam Adebayo, um, who like one of my favorite players to watch and another guy who can guard one through five legitimately and should even be better than he was last season. I'm wondering if this one through five uh, narrative will come at the expense of players like Rudy Gobert, right? Because as you're describing, Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis kind of took the mantle as the best defensive player alive in the bubble. Look how he can step out to the perimeter, no problem, contest three-point shots, even block three-point shots. At the same time, he can go down low, mix it up, block shots at the rim, um, you know, switch in any pick and roll, whatever you need, he's going to be covered. I just wonder if that's what now the intelligentsia will value and whether a player like Rudy Gobert, who, in my opinion, has had a slightly lower defensive impact last year than he did in, in some previous years, I wonder whether his run as being viewed as like a de facto uh, defensive player of the year candidate, is that slipping a little bit? Or, or a more traditional center like him, uh, is that possible or are we reaching? Is it still too early for that? I mean, personally, look, I think that protecting the rim at the end of the day is still the most valuable commodity in an individual defender. But like, yeah, I love versatility. I love guys who can switch out. Um, I guess you know, what I'm seeing is like, are there going to be some hipsters out there who like one, two, three on their, their voting ballot is Anthony Davis, Bam and Giannis. And the argument is we just care about guys who are versatile, who can do everything, who can go through all the different positions. And, you know, ultimately that's where the real value is, because if all you can do is sit back in the paint and dissuade shots, eventually that's going to catch up to you. I feel like that hipster remark was a direct shot at me. Well, you are you are hip Bayless, as our buddy Tyler. Uh, <laughs> no, but look, I use you as a stand-in for the NBA intelligentsia, or at least the NBA Twitter intelligentsia, sure. right? Because you're very locked in, you're very plugged in to the uh, you know 280 characters at a time lifestyle, Michael. Can't you see that kind of developing in, <laughs> in March and April where everyone's just like, yeah, it's all about defensive versatility. That's the only thing that matters now. So here's our defensive player of the year candidates. If you can't do it all, if you can't guard every player on the court, you don't even deserve to be in the conversation. This is my forecast. What do you think? No, no. I mean, you make really good points. I mean, that is a lot of what made Giannis such a valuable defensive player, right? Like he can impact games off the ball as well as on, and he can protect the rim and you can put him at the five and not lose anything as a defensive unit. And like the biggest adjustment in the NBA finals, remember, was Frank Vogel moving Anthony Davis onto Jimmy Butler. How many players can do that? So uh, so I think it, it has legitimate merit to say that a player like that impacts the game in a humongous way, particularly as the game is changing and teams are going smaller and more threes are getting shot, et cetera, et cetera. Well said. Great point on AD and the switch. I have AD winning defensive player of the year this year. I feel like it's just going to be a makeup call where some people thought he should have won last year over Giannis. I expect the Lakers to have a good team defense this year. They're very active, um, lots of athleticism. Even if they don't keep the foot, you know, the, the foot down or the pedal to the metal all season long, I feel like if they turn it up for the last couple of months, that will be enough for AD to get his. It just kind of feels like it's his time, his year. And I think a lot of people really agree with you at this point that he's the best defensive player in the league and that he deserves to have that recognition. Draymond had a year like that, by the way, where everyone was just like, look, now's the time to give him his due. And, and I could see AD kind of having mm-hmm. that this year. Um, I also have Bam and Joel Embiid kind of as my top other candidates. Let's go to Rookie of the Year. We've seen some really impressive rookie year performances already in in, uh, some of these preseason games. I know the Cleveland fans are getting excited about uh, Okoro. Chicago is starting to get excited about Pat Williams. Um, Who do you see as your Rookie of the Year winner, and who else do you think has a shot? Maybe it's just because I – maybe there's a bias in me because I've watched all of his games for some reason. But I'm going with Patrick Williams. Oh, my God. I'm all in. I thought you were going to say – I thought you were going to say Peyton Pritchard (laughs) when you started with – Oh, no. When you said you watched all of his games and you went with the P sound, I was like, my God, Michael's going to do it. (laughs) You know, he's on my honorable mentions. Um, But, no, Patrick Williams, like – he just has star written all over him. I mean, first of all, he's going to have opportunity. Um, Last night, um, the Chicago Bulls kind of hinted at where they're going as an organization by starting all of their young players. Uh, And so, and, and, you know, bringing Otto Porter off the bench, et cetera. So like, I think Patrick Williams will have plenty of opportunity. He'll get plenty of shots and touches. 
the way he just like creates his own shot, the confidence he has, he has this one, I don't know if you've watched him too much, Ben, but he has this one handed push shot in traffic. It's just, it's so gorgeous. And I like, I have no idea how he did not start in college. It makes no sense to me. He has hang time. He gets to his spots. He has handle. Uh, he's like the total package. I'm, I'm, I'm like falling head over heels for him. I love it. I hope it lasts because I've seen a lot of Chicago Bulls fans feel the exact same way you do, and they (laughs) deserve it. Man, they deserve to have something to cheer for, you know, a real uh, centerpiece type player after so many draft misses recently. I'm going with Abi Toppin in New York. Um, Oh. In part because he's just like 36 years old. You know, he's in his absolute prime, you know, 15 years older than all the competition. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm laying it on a little bit thick, but. I think they're in a situation where they do have some like incumbent veterans there that they could play. And I really hope that after like 10 or 15 games, they take more of that Chicago Bulls approach you're describing and just let some of the younger guys just have longer developmental opportunities. I think the fact that he could put up a big scoring number, that he's going to have exciting games, uh, you know, he he throws down dunks. He does look like Amari when he dunks. I think that's actually one of the the few Uh pre-draft comps that those people got right. Um, And then, uh, you know, somewhere in the – if he can average like 15 points a game, for example – I think that would be enough for him to to get it, even if they're meaningless points and you know losing games and everything else. I think you get the New York buzz going, and you get people saying he's NBA ready, he's polished, and you could put together a pretty good highlight clip for him. I could just see people defaulting to him during a year where a lot of the other top prospects, to me, are going to be fighting for roles, fighting to really you know be established NBA level players, and just maybe taking longer to ramp up. I think that's going to be an advantage for him. For sure, for sure. Um, I'm surprised none of us went with, neither of us went with LaMelo Ball, but, you know, this class is not the greatest class. Yeah, I think that I have a hard time seeing that one. I mean, Gordon Hayward breaking his pinky right off the top is sort of an ominous sign for their season, and maybe actually that could play, you know, Mm -hmm. if if there's continued injury issues there, maybe that could play to LaMelo's favor, but I'm just not sure he's got the role there, you know, that you would need to kind of be into this mix. I mean, I think... And when we're looking at guards who win it in the past, it's like John Morant because he starts and runs the entire show. You go back to a guy like, uh, you know, Victor Oladipo and and having a huge role down there in Orlando. I just don't see that for LaMelo uh, in Charlotte. Uh, Do you? I think that, you know, especially if they're struggling, there will be a lot of pressure to play LaMelo Ball a lot of minutes. So from that perspective, I could see him getting the touches and the shots and the opportunity. Plus, he'll be on SportsCenter like, after every game. There'll be a highlight reel play that he made. So he'll be in the conversation and buzzy throughout the entire season. Yeah, I'm just going to keep banging this drum. You not Don't vote on clout. Vote on wins and impact. All right? That is going to be our mantra in 2021. Michael, who is your most improved player? Okay. My most improved player. Um, right off the top, I just want to say that, you know... Um, I feel like this award is, is, is it's really bothering me how we're giving it to younger and younger players um, and guys who, you know, second year players, third year players, like, like giving it to Brandon Ingram was fine be, as young as he was but just because he had a cemented reputation in the league and he exceeded like the reasonable expectations. That was a travesty. That we had it should him. have been Luka Doncic, but continue. Yeah, no. See, that's exactly my point. Like it was Luca's second year, and everyone expects him to get better. So no, I'm putting the kibosh on that immediately. Um, But (laughs) I'm kind of semi 